Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. Well, we had week two of our You Have Heard It Said series, and uh, we're looking at different things that uh, you kind of just hear, uh, maybe in the church, uh, maybe outside of the church. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, You Can Do Anything You Put Your Mind To, which is actually from Benjamin Franklin, but maybe some people think that's like a proverb or something. Um this week, uh, we looked at a statement that it's interesting to me. It's definitely a critique from people outside of the church, but more and more, I think people inside the the church are responding to. Or I say more and more. You know, I opened the sermon with uh, a case of this from you know 1900 years ago, so it, it it's been around for a long time. But you're you're seeing this at least I am maybe more than I was when I was a child even in an evangelicalism uh this kind of rejection or distancing themselves from the Old Testament so I'm joined today uh by our newest staff member at Christ Covenant today is your first official day will uh this is will Kynes he's a great friend of Christ Covenant you guys know will but he is officially coming on a part-time basis as a theological advisor. So really excited to have you help us today uh, on the podcast, Will, uh, as we talk about this statement that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. I mean, is that something you've heard? Is that, I mean, kind of interact with that a little bit uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah, sure, Jason. And the truth is, when I saw the title for that sermon, I didn't realize its context in this sermon series. And I thought, wow, my job as a theological advisor is really cut out for me. <laughs> uh, I got you some work to, re- to do. I may want to rethink this job here. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, these people need some advising. No, uh, <laughs> um, no, you're exactly right that um, this is a, a very old uh, idea a challenge that the church has faced in the past, but it's a challenge it continues to face very much. Um, You know, with people who argue that the church should unhitch itself from the Old Testament. Um, And I think we have to have some sympathy to this view, because when we read the Old Testament, there is a lot that's in there that is difficult. uh, And there are things that maybe we wish weren't Uh, in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament does present to us uh, a God who uh, has authority and who is powerful and who judges sin. And these are all difficult ideas. Um, You know, I spend a lot of time in the book of Job, which the young adults are going through right now. And I mean, the God that we encounter in the book of Job is not a God that really makes us feel comfortable because he's a God who allows Job to suffer in terrible Mm -hmm. ways and, and then speaks to Job very um, forcefully uh, about 
who he is as God. So we should have some sympathy to that. But I thought you did a great job in the sermon of pointing out how much we would lose if we didn't engage with the Old Testament, if we didn't see it as God's revelation to us of who he is. Yeah, I uh, I use this like Forrest Gump analogy in the in the sermon, and um, and basically, if you haven't listened to the sermon, most people that listen to this have have listened to the sermon. But if uh, you haven't listened to the sermon, you know, in the movie Forrest Gump, um, if you know the movie actually starts, if you kind of look at it chronologically, in 1981, and then there's some events that happen after kind of that in live time, if you will, but then. In 1981, on this park bench from Savannah, Georgia, Forrest Gump is recounting all of these events that have happened before. And if you don't have all of that, then you can't really understand what happens forward. So to kind of use, to continue in that analogy, the book of Job, okay, that is not simple. You know, it's it, to, to really wrestle with the character of God and to understand kind of how God is interacting with humanity in the book of Job is not like a super simple idea. Now, on one side, you could say, well, we want to make the gospel, we want to present the gospel, we want to present uh, the gospel to lost people as simply as we can, so this is why we're rejecting the Old Testament. And on the other side, though, you're saying, well, okay, if the God that we want to believe in and center our whole lives in is really worthy of our worship, and he's really the creator of the whole universe, then that's not simple. Right, and so if we really understand, want to understand how God is interacting with this complex world, uh, it's actually very helpful for us to interact with, um, I would say, complex theology in, in the same way, like the, the movie Forrest Gump. The Vietnam War was not simple, but it was a big mm-hmm. part of the story, and we have to interact with something that's kind of difficult uh, in order to really understand, you know, where the story is going. Uh, and so I, I actually just kind of think like that the old testament i think part of our rejection of it a i think is you know people like christopher hitchens for example uh i've heard him say or i heard him say when he was still alive you know you you've doomed christianity by basically you know i don't know i can't remember if he used the word like hitching but basically like by taking on the old testament by continuing to hold on to the hebrew scriptures you've doomed christianity you need to drop that um, in order to make it more palatable. And and you, like you said, you read that and you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> it would be more simple in a sense. It, it, it mm-hmm. would be, especially if you're looking from a secular viewpoint, it, there, there is a complexity of the nature and the character of God uh, that you receive by reading the Old Testament. I, I would argue, obviously, the more and more you understand and know that, the more beautiful and the severity of God's beauty and his wisdom and power actually come on display in a way that it cannot without the Old Testament. But I, I, like you said, I do understand the critique. Yeah. And to the point of simplicity versus complexity, uh, I read this book uh, with the Covenant Institute students when I was teaching last year called The Old Testament is Dying by Brent Strawn, who teaches at Duke. Uh, And on this topic, I just think it's a great book. And he uses throughout the book this analogy of the Bible to a language. And Mm -hmm. the Old Testament is like a language. And if we forget how to speak the Old Testament language, then our ability to speak about life is severely restricted because it's part of the vocabulary 
that God has given us. So, you know, when you're a kid, you know, when you're you know, a toddler, you can get around with like four or five words. You know, it's like juice, water, mama, whatever. But as you <laughs> encounter more of the world, you need a broader vocabulary to engage with it. And so a book like Job or the Psalms, for example, they give us this deeper and richer vocabulary to respond to suffering in this life. Uh, and so we are so, we lose so much if we don't have that. Uh, and it's in God's goodness that he's given us this broader revelation in scripture uh, to, to speak to us. There's a, a great article that came out in Christianity Today, maybe two years ago, by Michael Rhodes, uh, asking why we don't sing the justice psalms. So, mm -hmm. you know, in the psalms, if you read through the Psalter, justice is a huge theme, care for the oppressed and the poor. But then he went through the CCLI top 100 yeah, or top right. 25 Christian songs. And none of them talk about those things. And none of them ask questions to God like the psalmists do all the time. So there's an impoverishment of our worship if we're not engaging with all of Scripture, including the Old Testament. Well, and, and that's a really interesting point. I think that if you just kind of look at the church and its inability to handle like racial complexity uh, or socioeconomic complexity, or like you said, like, the, the, I mean, the, it's not that the church is totally incapable of understanding suffering, but I would say it's growing in its inability to understand suffering uh, or failure. Uh, you know, all of these kinds of things, or rest, restoration, you know, I mean, how, mm -hmm. how, how, how good are churches at really restoring the fallen? And yes, we've, we've opted for this, like, again, hyper simple, um, God is good. He loves us. We love him. Let's celebrate kind of Christianity. And, and that nothing that I said there is untrue. Uh, those things are true and those things are fun to celebrate, but life and actually God himself, uh, the, the categories that those things open up are, are so much more complex and deeper than I think that most poorly discipled Christians are able to to manage. And, and it, you know, it's interesting. We live in this age where there's information around us. Uh, I mean, there's certainly resources that you can access to understand the Old Testament. I mean, think about what we're doing right now. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up in an age where there was like cool podcasts, uh, but I feel like, you know, even like our generation and, you know, you and I are not that old, Will. Um, I did grow up in an era of church where um, I feel like I had like a more robust understanding of uh, the Bible than a lot of kids in a lot of churches these days. I think our covenant kids team does a great job and does a great job equipping parents also. But um, I, I just feel like we have, we have oversimplified um, the nature and the character of God to to make God more marketable, um, mm -hmm. and and in a sense, it's really a response to Christopher Hitchens. Uh, you know, in a sense, that kind of critique, I think we've we've taken to heart and 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 forgotten who it's really coming from. Um, yeah, and of and course, it's, Christ it's so Christopher Hitchens is not the only voice there, but that type of yeah. voice. But it's really short sighted, especially those who are motivated by trying to make Christianity more palatable. And so they simplify it and simplify it. And they think that this is an important ev uh, evangelistic tool. But what they're actually doing is setting people up for failure because 
that simplified gospel, yeah, it's good. It's important to understand. But once you get into life and you hit these difficult situations, suffering that doesn't make sense, and all you have is Jesus loves me and God is great and God is good. Let's celebrate. Like, that's not going to get you through those right. times. And and then you're going to lose your faith, right? So that that's that kind of really shallow faith that's not prepared for the trials of this world. But there are deep resources in the Bible. And the Old Testament is particularly helpful here uh, that if we were, yes, it, sometimes they're scary, <laughs> but they're also there to help us get through those difficult moments. And, and I would say that kind of faith is very easy to deconstruct. You know, in one sense, it's it's very easy to construct. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like three pieces. God is good. He yeah. loves me. Let's celebrate. But it's also very easy to deconstruct, right? And so yeah. that is where I think I think we're seeing that in large part in, you know, uh, I mean, I, we've certainly seen it in our generation of believers um, where, you know, guys that were very excited about the Lord in previous times have, have you know, all but walked away because of a trial or walked away uh, because of a trial or some, in some cases not even a trial. Uh, in some cases, what I would call just like the normal, you know, <laughs> misery of this life, like the normal, uh, to quote David Foster Wallace, like boredom, redundancy, and, you know, and petty frustrations of life. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't even have a faith strong enough to just m- manage any of that. Uh, and so anyway, I, I think that's where... Um, you know, that's where a, a story like Job or Joseph, you know, the story of Joseph uh, or like the story of Abraham. I mean, I mean, you just go through the Old Testament and most of those uh, days, most of the, the, their life is is actually just kind of like a redundant faithfulness to God and waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promises. So uh, anyway, there's a lot to be said there. Uh Let's let's kind of move on though. I, I went through like different types of literature in the Old Testament in terms of how it's fulfilled in Christ. And I would say if there was a premise to the sermon, um, it was Jesus doesn't really make any sense without the Old Testament. And the Old Testament doesn't really fully make sense without Jesus. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of un uh there's a lot of loose ends. Uh there's a lot of unanswered questions. So yeah, I just in general, I mean, you've given your whole life to this book as a Christian, as a Christ follower. Um, yeah, how how would you speak to to that tension that exists there? Yeah. So one of the things that I'll often do with students is I'll say, okay, John three sixteen. We all know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then just highlight that word perish. Why is that word perish in this verse that Christians know and love? And if you don't have the Old Testament, it's hard to understand why, but what is God, what is Jesus actually coming to save us from? Uh, And you need the Old Testament to understand that there is a holy God, uh, a holy God who has created us and he has good purposes for humanity, but humanity has turned away from God. And the punishment for that sin is death, right? None of that makes sense without the Old Testament. But on the other hand, if you read through the Old Testament, I mean, it really ends on a cliffhanger because you went through right. a little bit of this in your sermon, but God has created this people for himself. 
starting with Abraham, and he has called them, uh, and he builds this people up, but over and over again, they turn away from him. And because God is this holy God, when they turn away from him and disobey him, he must punish them if he's going to remain holy and just. And I thought you did a great job of talking about there's an actual value to wrath because wrath supports justice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, we see throughout the Old Testament that this is also a God of extravagant mercy who again and again forgives these people. And draws them back to himself. And so you see this kind of cycle throughout the Old Testament. But when the Old Testament ends, they haven't been fully redeemed. Uh, They've been brought back to their land, but they're back in their land. And the second temple that they've built is disappointed. And what is it going, what is this relationship with God going to look like? How are are they going to overcome this constant tension between, on the one hand, God's wrath against their sin, and on the other hand, his love for them as his covenant people. It, it's just left hanging. And so there, there we get John 3.16 again, right? John 3.16 right. is fulfilling that tension and showing how God is going to do that. Romans 5.8 is a better, even better example of that, right? For, but God shows his love for us. So that's the one side of that tension in that while we were still sinners, that's the other side of the tension, Christ died for us, right? That's how he pulls those things uh, together. Yeah, and the Old Testament is so full of that. I mean, I, I've often said, like, there's this, like, almost, if you will, like, chorus that, uh, you know, if I was going to write the Old Testament in a play, I would have, like, a character come out on stage every once in a while and say, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger um, and abounding in steadfast love, but who will by no means clear the guilty and punishes those of the third and fourth generation? Like, like to me that that tension that you're talking about um that in that like that chorus if you will um you, you ever see the play um a, a funny thing on the way to forum you know or, uh what's the no, name I haven't seen like, it. okay well a funny thing that, happened on the way to the forum a funny thing happened on the way to forum yeah and and there's uh, this character that like he's searching for something the entire play I, I, we're getting deep in the creative mind of, of Jason D's here will but like he, he was like looking for something. I can't quite remember. It's been a long time since I've seen the play, but throughout the play, like just at random times, he'll like walk across the stage, like just behind the action and just like looking for this thing. So as I, in my Old Testament play, I would have a character that just went around saying that because I do think like the whole Old Testament begs, how yep. is God going to maintain his right, righteous, um, justice-loving um, you know, wrath, anger against sin, and and also maintain his incredibly loving and kind and merciful um forgiveness of the sinner and mercy toward the sinner. And and the answer, I mean, if you actually think about it that way, again, we're so like schooled in this, but you know, if you think about it just in terms of a story, like that that God himself would come and be the justifier. And then that justifier completes all of the imagery of the Old Testament. He is the priest. He is the lamb. I mean, it, it there there is, I mean, you want to talk about constructing a faith, all right? I mean, you want to talk about, I mean, there. I am like every other person. There are times when my faith is weak or when I'm discouraged or whatever. But the Bible always brings me back because it's like, how did this happen? How did God satisfy this? And... um 
I mean, the story is so beautiful. But if if you start with Jesus, then I mean, what does it mean when he says, you know, what John the Baptist says, the Lamb of the world, or you know, the, the Lamb of the world who takes away this, behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Like, what does that mean? You know, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Like, like you can't really understand that. None of those things make sense um, unless you have the Old Testament context. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and so it's not surprising then that, as you pointed out in Luke 24, Jesus points his disciples back to the whole Old Testament because that he's giving them the tools to understand who he is. And then throughout the New Testament, they're just the writers are constantly quoting or alluding the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, so how are we going to under, we can't understand what they have written or what Jesus accomplished without the Old Testament. In fact, um, the early church, the real problem that they faced was what not, what do we do with the Old Testament now that Jesus is on the scene? It, it, it was, what do we do with Jesus, given that we believe that God has revealed himself to us in the Old Testament? That, that right. was their yeah. fundamental belief. That was their scripture. Yeah, yeah. that was the problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was the other problem. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So we, we may tend to think of it the other way, but we've got Jesus, we believe in Jesus, what do we do with the Old Testament? But it was exactly the opposite. Uh, and that's the reason why the New Testament is so thoroughly studded with these quotations to the Old, because if Jesus was going to be who Christians believed he was, he had to be that in a way that made sense with the Old Testament. Well, and, and I have heard you know, the same kind of school of thought. Um, people say, well, the early church didn't have the Bible. They just gave witness to uh, the mm -hmm. resurrection. And again, I mean, it's just like, how could you say that? Like that, that is just an untrue statement. It almost like when I hear that, and I, I know that's been passed around by, you know, some church leaders, but I'll, I'll occasionally hear that just from like people that are listening. And I get, I mean, Hey, you're listening. You think this guy knows what he's talking about? I'm going to say what he says. And it, it almost makes me angry <laughs> because it's just a total fabrication of, uh, uh, you know, as a guy that was like more on the history side, I mean, it's a total fabrication of anything that has ever happened in the life of the church. The Christian worship has always been centered around. And I think this is like just an important thing to say. Christian worship has always been centered around the word of God revealed in scripture. Always. There's never been a time where people just sat around and, you know, told resurrection stories or something. I mean, the, it has always been centered around um, a study, an understanding of, a preaching of the Word of God. Now, that's happened in different ways. It's happened in big contexts. It's happened in house churches. But, but Christian worship has fundamentally always been centered around a study of what God has revealed in Scripture and I think that, and I think that's really the, that's, I mean, is that kind of what we're talking about? Like, what is this but a desire not to like unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, but just to unhitch ourselves from revelation at all and just kind of hold on to, well, let's understand God in a way we kind of want to. Right. I mean, so two things. One is th that didn't even just start with Christians, this worshiping based on scripture, you pointed out in the sermon, Jesus in the synagogue in Luke 4 picks up the scroll of Isaiah and reads it, right? So that's something that's already happening 
amongst Jews is they're already using their scriptures to understand God. And Jesus, as a Jew, and you pointed out, you know, he's teaching the Old Testament. That's what he is doing. And that's the practice he passes on to his followers. Um, and, And that's vitally important because as you got to the end of your sermon, you talked about revelation is really what this is all about. And revelation is God revealing himself to us. Uh, And Christians believe that that is what Scripture gives us. That's what the Bible gives us, is God's own revelation of who he is. And the dangerous thing, and this is the mistake that Marcion made all the way back in the second century, the dangerous thing is to say, well, I have an idea of what God should be like. And where the God that I see in the Bible doesn't fit my idea of what God should be like. I'm going to throw that part of the Bible out. Yes. Uh, and what ends up happening is exactly what happened with Marcion, is his Bible got smaller and smaller and smaller over time because, I mean, and this is a spoiler alert maybe for some of your listeners, but <laughs> the God of the Bible is a God that loves to defy human expectations, right? He's not the mm-hmm. kind of God we would make up. Uh, And so if we're going to make up a God, so much of scripture is not going to agree with it. And so you get this smaller and smaller and smaller view of God until that view of God eventually becomes yourself. Uh, And that's incredibly sad. And, and, but I think that that point, and, and again, that's not just happening in the old Testament conversation. I mean, that's happening. uh, I mean, if you go looking for something in the Bible, or if you go looking for something in Christianity, you'll find it. I mean, mm. you know, it, that's the point. I mean, if you, if it's like, well, surely God is like this. Um, I mean, you can, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You can do that with anything, right? I mean, um, uh, and, and that's been proven over and over and over again. I mean, there's a lot of debate right now in the country about like what the constitution says about this or that, like, you know, I mean, the Constitution says what it says. Like, it, but if you want it to say something, uh, and you have that understanding of how we're supposed to handle the Constitution, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. Um, and of course, we're not talking about the Constitution here. We're talking about um, the Bible, the revealed Word of God. I mean, we know the Constitution is a a human effort. It it certainly uh, it says what it says, but it doesn't mean it's right or true. We we actually the founders were like, hey, let's make the um, let's make the constitution changeable because we might miss some things here, but the word of God's not like that, right? The word of mm-hmm. God is once and for all delivered to the saints. And it, uh, and it says what it says and God has revealed it kindly to us and graciously to us. So I just think that is the point is the reason we've rejected this is we really don't want revelation at all. And so let's find the revelation. That's the most easily, malleable. And if I can remove 70% of the Bible, uh, then that cuts out a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And one of the reasons why you can make the Bible say what you want it to say is going back to that language analogy. It is complex. Uh, It doesn't just say one thing over and over again. It says lots of different things, which gives you space to pick and choose from different parts of the Bible and fit them into a particular worldview that you may have. And and that's why I appreciate a church like Christ's Covenant, where you're 
preaching through big chunks of scripture in both Old Testament and New, because you have to learn the whole language yeah. for it to make sense to you and to, to notice places where, okay, so that's kind of an irregular verb that we're encountering here, but it fits within a particular paradigm. And so I can make sense of it. But you, you need that breadth of understanding uh, to prevent some of these kinds of mistakes. And, and, and I would just say, you know, I love the idea of expanding vocabulary and we can kind of shut it down with this, but yes, there are some things that are going to be hard for an unbelieving world to believe about God, right? I mean, let's just be honest about that. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I would hope that we would be the kind of church that rather than giving into that and just say, oh, let's make it easier, let's make it more palatable, we would be the kind of church that actually seeks to understand the Bible rightly, more fully, so that we can see within it God's order and beauty, and and I would say wonder, um, which I think is incredibly compelling. When we understand, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to believe in God or believe in his word, but let's present the scripture as it is, not as we want it to be, but as it is, um, fully and rightly doing the hard work because there is wonder and glory in it uh, that I think will be incredibly compelling to a world that longs to see beauty and wonder and glory. Yeah, amen. I mean, one of the illustrations that I did with the Covenant Institute people uh, is I, I pull out a box, a three-dimensional box, and it has different traits written on different sides, like wrath and love and um, mercy and justice. Uh, and I put it in the middle of the room and asked the students to look at it from different angles. And each of them can only see one yeah. or two sides of the box. Uh, but all of them together can see this three-dimensional, much fuller understanding of that box. Uh, and so if that box is like God, what we get in Scripture in those 66 books is a more three-dimensional understanding of who God is. And one of the mistakes that we're kind of been getting at here with the simplicity of a lot of the love God, or, you know, some people have a wrath mm -hmm. God and that's all that God is. And that's easy to reject. Uh, but there is a right, three-dimensional, sure. much fuller idea of God presented to us in the breadth of scripture. And, and it is a wonderful and beautiful presentation. Yeah, that's a good point too, to just kind of say like the, there, the, I mean, we've been kind of, I would say, like beating up a little bit more on the side that wants to, you know, present God only in this like kind, lovey-dovey way. But there is kind of this like fundamentalistic mm -hmm. side out there, too, that equally misrepresents God, um, that that only kind of shows him as this like fearful tyrant and, and ignores exactly. his merciful attributes. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I think in all of these cases, we want to be careful that, again, it's not in in both of those cases, it's some preconception of God. We're using God to do something that we want him to do rather than just trying to know him and follow him and love him and I would say glory in him. So I'm so grateful for you, Will, and, and the kind of work that you do to help people to do just that. And so welcome to the team. We're excited to have you all going to be hearing a lot more from Will Kinds. Uh, but for Will Kinds, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talkback podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text to pastor line at 
404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.